and I, I got a message for you guys here today. We're on week three of our We Are the Heathen series. We talked about Samson and Rahab. I want to encourage you guys to go back and listen to those messages. But today we're going to talk about Paul. Paul is the writer of most of the New Testament. He, he has an incredible amount of wisdom and he was an amazing missionary, led three year long missions trips all across the, the, the Middle East and even into some of the more like deeper Asian continent and, and, he, and his words actually extend even further out from there. If there's someone who is most important into the expansion of the gospel outside of Jesus, it is Paul. But before Paul was a pastor, before it was Paul the missionary or Paul the, the prisoner for Christ, he was Saul the heathen. And when we're introduced to Saul, it's this interesting part of the book of Acts chapter 7. And we see the same people that have rallied the Jewish people together. They're called the Pharisees. They have rallied all of, G all of the Jewish people to, to crucify Jesus. They have now shifted their attention after Jesus has died and gone away. They've shifted their attention now to Jesus' followers. Jesus gave a commandment to all of his disciples to go out and spread the message, the good news of Jesus Christ and his redemption for our lives to all people. Now the Pharisees see it as their mission to stop that at all costs. And one of the disciples named Stephen, he's standing on trial and instead of giving a defense for himself, he decides to give the gospel message. And at the end of this message, he says this, I want to pick up right here because this is where we meet Saul. Acts chapter 7 verse 51, it goes, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation and they shook their fists in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into the heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told him, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. They put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Saul was one of the witnesses and he grieved completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Saul's this interesting heathen because He's the heathen who follows the rules. He's the heathen who had the best reputation. He's the heathen that in any other context, he would be considered holy for, for rewarding and keeping true the, the word of God. 
But Saul and like many others around him were blinded by hatred and anger and fear. And it causes him to do things that no person of God should ever do. But what we see is that in his attempt to try to get things in order, we see him out of control and in places of rage. So if you're taking notes with me, I'm going to title today's message, Out of Control. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this word. I thank you for the promise that you have on our lives. That you see us in our sin and in our struggling, but you don't leave us there. You you choose to stand by us and not reward us for our bad behaviors, but God, you never give up. Like you did with your servant Saul, God, you never give up. Like you did with your disciples as they stood trial, you never let them down. So right now, God, whatever we're bringing in this morning, we, we just hold out our hands. God, maybe physically if we can, but metaphorically right now in our prayer, and we just lay down who we are, some of our, our background our hurts and our past and we just listen to your holy spirit as he's speaking your word to us now god we thank you we love you in jesus name amen 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 at this time that we're introduced to saul jesus has come and died and then resurrected and then has left again and so we're still in the same time period that all of this happened and and so a lot of the people that we're talking right now they're either familiar with, like they have a close interaction or encounter with Jesus, or they were there at his crucifixion or at a miracle or at some sort of event that would show the true power and love of Jesus. This is the guy that the Jewish people were waiting for. At least that is what we believe. Yet there's this rip and tear in the social construct between the Jewish people and the Christians. I mean, they're they're on, they're just two different sides of the same coin. And, and so, but what we're seeing is not like how they can find unity and agreements with each other. Instead, they're like two stubborn people in a relationship heading towards divorce, like unable to agree with each other, always at ends and neither one budging on what they're doing. It, it, it kind of looks like our current culture climate right now, right? It, it kind of looks like the world that we're living in where we are in America, we're in the same nation, yet seemingly, even though we know there's gray areas, but seemingly there's two sides. And if you're on one, it means you're against the other. And if you're on the other, it means you're against the one. Wait, what? I mean, that that's not what we're supposed to be doing, but these two sides in the middle of it and what they're causing to each other is an incredible amount of suffering. And what we're trying to argue now in our our cultural zeitgeist and all of the different language pieces from the news to social media to celebrities to now even political seasons is who's suffering the most and then who gets the power to say that those people shouldn't suffer and then now we should make rules and laws to stop all the personal suffering that's happening. I know I'm getting into a little bit of a thing, but I'm not picking sides here, but let's just paint with a broad brush so that we understand what we're actually talking about. Let's say you're politically conservative. The, The outside point of view, maybe this is you, let me tell you what the outside point of view is, is that you're trying to control another person's freedom of choice. At the same time, you're demanding your own freedom of choice. Uh, 
right? Again, you may not agree with it, but this is the outside perspective. How about if you lean politically more liberal in this world? Here's generally what the outside perspective looks like. It says it looks like you're trying to control people's language and belief systems, and you're belittling what other people, their conservative values, and you're saying those aren't right because it infringes on my personal values. So you want them to not have their values and belief systems and language systems while also affirming your values, belief systems, and language systems. Wait, what? And as long as we can decide as a giant culture, and we do this every four years when we vote in a president, then we decide who gets carte blanche to make whatever rules they deem necessary to stop this level of suffering. Wait, I think we're we're in a really mixed up place right here because in our effort to stop the suffering in this world, we're actually just trying to gain control. And, and really, in, in that attempt, we're out of control. And, and, and I don't care. I really mean it. I don't care what side of the line that you draw, that you sit on. I don't care how you vote. That It's not a bother to me. What I care about is that we're unaware, or at least we're aware and yet still choosing to cause suffering on other people. And let me just speak to the Christians. Let me just speak to the people listening here today. That is not what we are supposed to be doing. This massive amount of suffering is not the call that God has on his people. Even Stephen at his trial, he's looking at the people that are pushing control on other people. And he says this, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. So pastor, are you telling me that if I stand up for what I believe in, I'm a heathen and I'm causing suffering to others? Yes and no. I mean, yes to the point in which you would rather choose your point of view over the suffering of other people and know in that you're allowed your own point of view. But the level of suffering and the level of judgment, the level of hate that we put on others that don't believe in that way is also not the thing that God wants us to do. The problem is that we're doing things in God's name that he never asked us to do in the first place. And so we're putting the power and the weight of the savior of the universe, the savior of your life, and we're actually pushing further people away. Let me put it this way. As long as you are the subject of control, it will remain out of control. So how do we get out of this problem? Let's just first off agree that suffering isn't a good thing. And, and if you don't agree with that, that's a whole other message, or maybe just keep listening. And at least at the end of this message, we can agree that people shouldn't suffer in this life. But if we could also agree that us trying to control with our personal morality is causing more suffering, then, then pastor, what do we do? I think that's a great question, and I want to point you towards a quote from Yoda from Star Wars. He puts things this way, this whole mess of a situation this way. He says, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. I like this quote as a structure for today's message, because let's just shoot straight from the hip. The world is suffering. Why is it suffering? Well, let me argue it's the amount of hate that we have for each other. 
And why do we hate each other? Well, it's because those people did something to make me angry. And why did it make me angry? Because I was afraid. Unfortunately, Saul is a prime candidate of this type of person. It's why we can look at him and we can call him, like Stephen calls him, a heathen who is at heart forgotten what the intention of God in our lives is supposed to do for us. You see, but suffering is not the end. You see, I think it's just one of the many steps. Saul believed that Jesus was a false Messiah. He hated him. Let me ask you a question. What do you hate? I hate things like autocorrect, right? My name is spelled a little bit weird, A-E-R-I-C. And those old flip phones, whenever you try to type my name, it would autocorrect it to America. And so I got so many messages from people just calling me America. And like, listen, I'm a patriot, but like, I'm not that much. You know, it gets a little annoying after a while. Uh, how about, I hate ants, right? I think they're the most useless bug. Like mosquitoes are annoying, like bees, scary, spiders, weird, but ants, like they don't hurt. They're weird. Like they they just get everywhere. And I know somebody's listening right now. You're like, well, actually they help like dig up the ground and aerate it. So seeds and things grow. Hey, I'm not worried about that. It doesn't solve the problem of why they're in my kitchen crowding up in the dishes that I should have done five days ago. <laughs> Listen, we don't know hate. Until, I don't think I really knew hate until my preteen son stared me in the eyes after I tried to put a boundary on his life. Come on, my parents in here. You know the stare that I'm talking about. That's real hate. I, I, I hate people with a high metabolism right? You guys, like, you really, like, got the luck of the draw right here. You see, we eat the same cheeseburger, and your body's like, oh, great, more energy to to maintain my six-pack. And I eat a cheeseburger, and my body's like, why are you torturing us? <laughs> like, but whether it's an inanimate object or bugs or food or just healthy people, like we all have these things that we hate in this world. Uh, and maybe we don't use like the, as aggressive, aggressively as a word as hate, but there are things that we go, if that wasn't in our society, if that wasn't in our world, if that thing wasn't inconveniencing me as much as it is, my life would be better. These are things get deep down underneath your skin, and they're more than just annoyances. It's a thing that you would say, my life, the world, everything would be better if that didn't exist. And, and this is Saul to a T. He's been taught at an early age that there is right and there is wrong. There are people who are doing wrong things to right people. And if a right person does a wrong thing, that makes them wrong. He's lived off of this mentality. He's lived off of this understanding that if sinners didn't exist in this world, then we wouldn't have a problem with sin. But the problem with this is that that type of idea, that type of theology actually removes God from the equation. You see, if we can control sin, then what's the need of a savior? What's the need of someone to come in and say, there was no chance you couldn't live up to it without me? But this is what Saul and so many of the other people around him are believing that the reality that they're unable to face is that they're not dealing with a sin issue. What they're dealing with is a heart condition, a heart condition in other people, but also a heart condition within themselves. Yes, 
we should solve the issues of hate speech and racism and elitism and inequalities and abuse. But again, let's flip the side of the same coin. What do you do when you're the one causing those things on other people? It, we're all the heroes of our own stories. To Saul and many other people like him, he was right and he was righteous. But let's pull it back because as much as we want to think that suffering is a problem or even now that, well, we just get rid of hate as the problem, it's never the actual first step. It, hate is just a reaction from something way more personal. Uh, so we ask, what do you hate? But now let me ask, what makes you angry? Let's just choose one that I think we can all relate to. What makes everyone that I've ever met angry is being wronged in some form. Uh, from something as small as being cut off in traffic to a special person in your life betraying you, taking information that was close to you and using it against you. We, when we are wronged as humans, our blood boils and, and we react differently than in any other emotional thing that happens. You see, my, my peacekeepers that are listening and watching right now, you go inward when someone's wronged you, but it, yet it still makes you angry. It actually makes you angry at yourself sometimes, doesn't it? How about my aggressors listening? You, you try to demand apologies or make sure that that right, that the, the wrong that's been done to you has been righted. No matter how we go about this, there is no emotion like anger that creates a more violent reaction in this world. It's so violent, it causes us to hate and to prefer those things not to exist and then cause great suffering. Guys, anger is such a tool of the enemy to bring us to a point of no way back. We see this in Saul's life as we read on about him in Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. We see, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. What would cause this level of anger in someone like Saul's life? You see, he's not even going after the people that have inconvenienced him. Now he's going after people in other cities, in other places, in other synagogues. His hatred of Jesus, it's coming from this deep anger that he believes the wrongs that he's experienced should be righted. But just like how hatred is not the first step, anger is also not the first step. Let me wrap up today's message by going directly to the source of suffering, to the source of hate, to the source of anger in your life by asking this question, what are you afraid of? I wish this question was one that we asked more often. I wish Saul asked himself this question. I wish the Pharisees asked themselves this question when they interacted with Jesus. I wish you and I would start to ask this question when we start to realize that we hate something, when something makes us angry. I wish we would ask the question, what are you afraid of? What's coming up against you that you feel like something is going to hurt you? Something is, is scary. Something is putting you on your back foot. 
Because if you're Saul in this time, this man named Jesus starts showing up on the picture and he starts saying things like, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And that he came to fulfill all the laws that they follow and that he cared more about the heart condition than the act of sinning. And he claimed that unforgiveness would send more people to hell than they realized. And, and, and I know that that doesn't seem controversial. It actually feels like common language to us now. But if you were taught that there was a right way and a wrong way, then someone comes along and says all the right things, but it looks different than the way that you were taught. It actually looks like it's the wrong way. And, and, and each time he starts doing this, it actually tears apart a piece of the fabric and tradition and values you grew up with your entire life. We would now start to get this understanding that Saul is in fear, not of Jesus, but what the power of Jesus would do in your life. I think many of us, when we start looking at Christianity and some of the fear that we have with it is that if it's true, this affects everything. If if Jesus is real, if God is real, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and guiding you more than just a conscience, more than just a sense of morality, but it's giving you life, then there's a lot of things in this world that are not okay that you and I were doing. And this fear will cause you to rage against the things that you were never supposed to rage against. You see, some of us, we have faced incredible hurts in our lives and the fear that that hurt will come back, the fear that that thing is going to do something to us again will cause you to do things you never thought you would do before. I have some unfortunate news for those of us struggling with fear and anger and hate in our lives. The fear that you live in because of that pain and that trauma, or that abuse, it's not okay and it has no justification. I don't believe it's God's desire or intent for you to have gone through anything that would cause this level of fear in your life. In fact, I think it breaks his heart the most when his very own words are used as, as, as hurt and swords and spears and arrows against you and they're weaponized. Yet, that's not what he was trying to do. But I do have some hope for us in this room. And listening today, you see, Jesus has no intent in leaving us in our pain and our lack of understanding. Jesus knows that you, like Saul, need an encounter with him. And Saul was going to a town called Damascus in order to, to get the things he was afraid of. To get the things that were causing his anger, the thing that was fueling his hate, he was going to control it. He was going to go put it in jail. He's going to lock it up and it was going to be his and he was doing the right thing. But Jesus comes out of the picture. And in Acts chapter 9 and verse 3, it says, As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. This one encounter, this one moment with Jesus changes Saul's life. 
From here, he meets a Christian follower and he's given a new purpose and a new name. And what's strange about this purpose is the thing that made him the most fearful, the thing that made him the most angry, the thing that fueled his hatred actually now turns into the thing that makes him the most effective. Can I tell you today that there's something in your life, there might be anger in your life, there might be a fear in your life, and it is limiting the potential on who you are. Some of you, you feel like there's a ceiling on your life that you can't bust through. And can I tell you it's because you're holding on to a thing that Jesus wants you to let go. Jesus is trying to give you hope instead of fear. He's trying to give you peace instead of anger. He's anger. He's trying to give you love instead of hate. For Paul, he needed a moment where Jesus smacked him in the face, threw him off his horse, put him on the ground and blinded him. Can we just hope that that doesn't happen to you? Can today's message be an opportunity for you to hear the true word of God in your life? And he's saying, that you can let go and live free. Man, if you hear anything from the message today, if you can hear anything from the life of Saul, is that the thing that used to disqualify you now qualifies you, but it came from giving it back to God. I can't help but think there are people listening today that as you heard this message, you can relate to Saul. You can feel hate and anger guiding your decisions. You can see it in your relationships. You can see it affecting your children. There are those listening right now. You're suffering from anxiety and insomnia because you have a great dissatisfaction and a fear in your life. There are those stuck in comparison and it's making you ineffective as a partner to the people that you're supposed to love. It's making you a selfish friend because you're always angry and judging and jealous and gossipy about somebody else's life. And can I tell you today that God wants to remove that? Today, I believe that Jesus is looking down from heaven and he wants to have an encounter with you right now. Can I pray for you as we encounter him? God, I thank you that this message isn't falling on deaf ears. God, no longer are we deaf to the truth. No longer are we choosing to be heathens at heart, but God, we are releasing our fear to you. God, fear of the pain that might come back, fear that we're gonna get hurt again. God, we're releasing our anger back to you. Angry that we've been wronged, that somebody's hurt us and their justice needs to be had. God, we're giving that to you. God, we're giving our hatred to you. The thing that we wish just wouldn't exist in this world, God, that is not your plan. And we're choosing your way of love. God, we just ask that as you're replacing fear, with hope in our lives, as you're replacing anger with joy, as you're replacing hatred with love, let it be from your people and from your son. We give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hey, we love you guys. We'll see you next week. You're always invited to our in-person gatherings. We can't wait to see you there.